This is Anne Fremantle, introducing PL Travis over WBAI for PEN Pen. What is Pen? What does it do? Pen is an independent international association of writers. The initials PEN Pen stand for poets, playwrights, essayists, editors, novelists, and by punny implication of the initials for all writers. Pen exists to promote worldwide friendship and intellectual cooperation among men and women of letters. Pen has no politics, but it is against the imprisonment of writers for political reasons, and in the Pen Charter, Pen members pledge themselves to, quote, oppose any suppression of freedom of expression in the country and the community to which they belong. Pen is therefore against all censorship of the written word. Pen now has 82 centres in 60 countries of Africa, Asia, Europe, North and South America and Australia. World membership of Pen is around 10,000. International Pen was founded in 1921. American Pen was founded in 1922. Pen is a non-profit tax-exempt association with headquarters at 156 Fifth Avenue, New York City. But the 1,500 members of American Pen come from all over these United States. Membership is by invitation from the membership committee and is extended to published writers of demonstrative accomplishment. Pen is a purely literary association and assists writers in many practical ways with copyright problems, with insurance problems, with getting better deals for translators and helping young writers get better known by giving prizes and also by promoting meetings in different countries and by honouring both American writers and writers from other countries. Now here is P.L. Travers, who will talk over WBAI under the auspices of Penn about death and the great myths. P.L. Travers is the creator of... Um, <laughs> Are you thinking you of Mary Poppins? Of Mary Poppins. Uh, though I don't think I'm the creator, if I can say <laughs> that. There's only one creator. C.S. Lewis said this. One creator. And we just mix the elements that he gives us. What in Scotland we call makers. Yes, we are makers. Ma- the maker. The maker. The original maker. The maker. Mm-hmm. But Mary Poppins is already a great myth. <laughs> well, she comes from myth. A.E., who brought me up literaturally, he said, of course, she's straight out of myth. And Yeats, I think, felt the same thing. And your latest book, which is about the Sleeping Beauty, which M- McGraw-Hill published just before last Christmas, 1975, that also is about uh, 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 the great myths of sleeping and death. Exactly. All the, all the versions of, of, of the Mary, po- uh, Mary Poppins, I confuse everybody with Mary Poppins, all the versions of the Sleeping Beauty that are known are there. And you see the different emphasis that's put on sleep and death in each country. Well, I think it's very interesting the way uh, the, all the great myths have, uh, are involved with death. Um, I'm very interested in the fact that um, T.S. Eliot said April is the cruelest month, and this month we're having four people discuss death, mm-hmm. and you're the first one, and you're discussing death in the myths, in the Uralt yes. view yes. of death. Yes. And I want you to tell me a little about, for instance, death in the Egyptian myths like Osiris, death in the Greek mm-hmm. myths like... Um, uh, the, the ones of people who went down to hell. Um. Well, you know, it's a big subject you've given me for <laughs> such a short time. But let's think. Do you want to think of Orpheus? That's it. That's, Orpheus is a very good one to take. That's, that's a very central theme because we have him with us today. But first of all, I'd like to say that I think any talk of the myths and death can't leave out death hyphen and hyphen life because in the myths... 
there is no death except for heroes on the battlefield. All those that are God-born, B-O-R-N, come back and are alive continually. Of course, we only have to look at our own society to find them alive. We'll take Orpheus. He was the son of a mortal Thracian and the muse Calliope. And therefore, he was half a god. And he because you remember his story, one mm. of the stories about him is that he goes after Eurydice, his wife, who has died. He goes down into the courts of hell. And there he plays such music that Hades and Persephone agree to let him go. This music, I may say, holds up for a time the tortures of the damned that are down there. They don't suffer during the time he's there. And there's a wonderful poem by James Elroy Flecker about that very thing, only it's a linnet that goes down into hell. And it says that they remembered they had died when they heard music in that land. And every one stole forth a hand to draw a brother to his side. Oh, how it's marvellous, isn't it? That and is you can see those tormented souls listening to Orpheus and playing on his lyre and taking a hand to each other. It's a wonderful picture. Well, you know, uh, they gave him permission. He could have Eurydice back on condition. Like Mrs. Lott, he didn't look backwards. Yes. Uh, mythologically, we ought to examine Mrs. Lott too, but we haven't time for her. Well, he did it. He agreed. B and he played his lyre. But just at the mouth of the entrance to Hades, he couldn't hear Eurydice's footsteps. And instinctively, he turned back, and she was lost to him forever. So she goes down into death. She was immortal. But he goes, he, the rest of his story is, uh, the, the most popular variant, is that he tried to teach the Dionysians not to kill mortal man for sacrifice. And that meant that the Dionysian rites had no meaning in them if, you, if the women couldn't tear the human man to pieces. We could go on and on and on and on for that. Goodness knows what Freud thought of it. And so he was torn to pieces by the Menads once he tried to establish to stop this. this. Mm. And thrown into the river Hebrus, which carried his head, still singing, to Lesbos. And, um, of course, he, 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 it, it found its place in Apollo's temple. And there it spoke and sang the oracle until Apollo got jealous. And he said, now you're taking my business away from me. And none of that, please. And so the head stopped singing. But miraculously, he was put together again so that he became a god. And from him we get the Orphic mysteries, which are very profound and are just beginning to come into our, into our thinking now. And from whom Pythagoras got so much. Orpheus was the first not to eat flesh and beans. Ah. And Pythagoras carried that on. Pythagoras didn't eat beans either. Oh, that, he was famous. That's in Shakespeare in Twelfth Night. Oh. And that was because they're protein? or Well, they are protein. They're very high protein. I often wondered, because it says in Shakespeare, happily I may, may be eating the flesh of my grandfather or something like that. 
Look it up. It's in the, one of the it's clowns that she owns. How extraordinary. Yes. Well, now, to get back to this death, uh, these death myths, almost always there's some condition, isn't there? Like he mustn't look back on your yes, legacy. And, and that the immortal life or, or, or uh, uh, lengthening of life mm. is conditional on some task, some, some, something being carried out or something not being done. Like Lot's wife, who you mentioned, um, yes. she also turned around. She happened around. to look back. Of course, we have to examine what looking back means. What does it mean, facing the past or not being willing to throw the past away? Yes, or we not being willing to go into the new life. Indeed, holy, which is the same thing. Isn't it the same thing? And we're, yes. we're enjoined not to look back, if you yes. think of the religions. Yes, yes. And the great myths are based, aren't they, all of them, on religions. Exactly. You remember that Orpheus had been to Egypt and Osiris was the king of the death. underworld mm. and a judge of life and death, the everlasting of Egypt. And you, you remember the story. He was dismembered yes, too. Yes. And Isis, his mother sister, wandered through the world picking up the pieces the and she yes. got all except one, the genitals. Yes. She could never be found. And one story says that she puts him together and he goes on living. And another says she plants the pieces in places where they need great fertility. But you see, Egypt, it's a, it's a very interesting thing how Egypt is a symbol for these very deep aspects of myth. Uh, Helen of Troy is supposed to have gone to Egypt while she was supposed to be in Troy. There's an enchanting novel by Andrew Lang on that called no, The I World's read. Desire. World's Desire? The, the World's Desire by Andrew Lang, and it's about Helen of Troy who goes to Egypt and meets Moses. Oh, but that's wonderful it's because she is supposed in the legend to go to Egypt while her ship goes to Troy and lives with Priam. The, what, why does she go to Egypt? It's very, it's very interesting. Egypt has always been a symbol in myth for what is deepest in religion. And from there, the idea of the torn and crucified God eventually found its place Into Christianity. in Christi Christianity. Yeah. And you remember where it says, in accordance with the prophets, out of Egypt have, have I, I called my son. And Egypt, of course, was the, was the uh, country and the civilization which most emphasized death. I mean, the, the whole... Uh, business of uh, all the, the funerary, funerary rites, rites and the enormous respect paid even to dead animals, to dead cats or what have you. Um, this 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 emphasis on death uh, in every mm, at every form of life, even scarabs and uh, insects, uh, they preserved every kind of life in death. They preserved it because they believed that they were life. Life had left them for the moment, but it was big, being prepared for them somewhere else. Yes. Now, where do you think that comes into humanity? Because, uh, I mean, primitive peoples see death, and they see there's nothing to be done about it. I mean, there's death, and then uh, there's corruption. Um, where did the whole idea come into the myths of some kind of continuation? Well, now you're asking me periods and dates for the myth, which I can't tell. I don't think they ever were invented. I think they arose in man spontaneously. And that when man in any country or in any civilization came to a certain point, he restated that myth. This is my idea, only my idea, and I'm not a scholar, I'm only a lover. But you'll, you'll see it again and again that the myth holds life and death. 
And even those very uh, strange Norse myths, the death of Balder the Beautiful. Oh, the Balder the Beautiful, indeed. And But he came the, became the chief god to whom everybody prayed. And he was killed by Loki, wasn't he, he by, the, by the evil one? No, blind Hoda. Oh, that's right. He threw the sprig of mistletoe, and un unintentionally it hit Balder. Because the mistletoe was the one thing that hadn't promised Frigga, his mother, that she would not harm the yes. beautiful god. Yes, yes. She had overlooked the mistletoe. But you see, that again is a very mythological thing because it's by means of a sprig of myth mistletoe that Aeneas goes down and becomes one of the warriors that harrowed hell. Oh, that I With didn't a know. Yes, a, a sprig of, of mistletoe, mistletoe took him down. Th that was the golden bough. And it took Aeneas down to hell to find his old father. father yes. But you see, there is a succession of heroes who g go down and harrow hell. Odysseus, Hercules, um, Aeneas. Oh, I can't remember them. Well, oh, Jesus Christ, too. I'm just thinking, <laughs> did not he? And we have it, we have it in our Western world, a, a statement of this, when we think of Dante. Yes, and also of the Harrowing of Hell, which is one of the earliest Anglo-Saxon poems. Absolutely. It's a, a very great poem, yes. The Harrowing of Hell. Which it's is a wonderful phrase. It's a one, well, it's a wonderful poem. He mm. goes down for whatever it was, 24 hours or something, and there is the harrowing of hell, and he sets all the people free who'd been there before. So that that is the continuation of this great myth, of all the great myths of, of Aeneas and, and all these other um, gods or semi-gods who, who go down. It's wonderful how Christianity has embodied so much of the past myth. I'm not saying that Christianity is a myth, far from it, but it must have its myth mythical connotations and relationships. Well, uh, every every kind of religion must. I mean, obviously. And one of the best things, I, th I agree with you about Christianity, is the way that it's kept all the, um, even the the, uh, the words in Italy, they still swear per bacco. Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. By Bacchus. Yes. And um, uh, they still, I mean, the whole veneration for, for um, building churches in groves is, a, is an old Greek thing, isn't it? You Absolutely. always had a garden or around the church or the cemetery yes. was a garden. Yes. That goes they back had yew, far beyond Yew trees, don't forget, and yew is a symbol of death, but it's a symbol of death and rebirth. And, you know, this idea that the hero or the god doesn't die has been restated in, of all places, Hollywood. No. Well, yes. <laughs> Years ago, I saw an old second-class picture with Marlon Brando in it, who was playing uh, a character like Kay Guevara. And he's shot. And with his lifeless body at their feet, his followers say, he's in the mountains, he's in the forest, he's making his plans, he'll be back. And who was he impersonating? Kay Guevara. Or oh. a, a, a character like Kay Guevara. Really? And a gorilla? Yes. Yes, he's making his plans, he'll be back. And there he is, lifeless at their, their feet. But they don't accept that. The human mind doesn't accept. Do you know that they believe in some villages in England that Winston Churchill is not dead? No. When our times are worst, Winston Churchill will be back. Like Frederick Barbarossa? Frederick Barbarossa, whose beard is still growing, <laughs> so the story says. Yes. And he will wake when the rooks that fly around the mountain stop arguing. Oh, <laughs> what a hope. <laughs> and, of course, King Arthur is supposed oh, to. Arthur is asleep in the Isle of Avalon. And what about Merlin? Merlin. 
in his yeah. cave. You remember he told Nimue, which is the original name of Vivian in Enchantress. He taught her all his spells. And he taught her knowingly that she was going to enspell him in the end. And she locked him in the cave, or locked, uh, locked him under a tree, I think. And there he sits to this day, waiting, waiting to be freed. So there we have great, three great uh, ideas in all the myths. The idea of death, the idea that to avoid or escape death, one must fulfill some task. One must become the hero of one's own story. That's yes. the inner task. That's the inner task. And lastly, that one must also um, uh, accept the destiny to go forward. One must never look back. Not look back. One must never look back. And um, those are about the, the, the main ideas. Now, what do you think is the myth of our time, other than... So I agree with you that someone like Che Guevara has become a myth. In fact, I think he's rather a, perhaps a, a figure for our time that embodies all the, the, the great myths. Mm. But um, do you think that, that, that each people is producing myths still? They must do it? I don't think that new myths are being invented. I've thought a lot about this, but I think the old myths are continually restated in modern terms. Someone suggested to me the other day, an American myth is the Kennedy family. Yes. Well, I said, no, it's not the Kennedy family, but they were supposed to live in Camelot, the White House. They're restating the Arthurian myth. And you even see? the House of Atreus. The terrible fate. Indeed. Everyone coming to a sticky end. Yes. I mean, that is that is what happened in Greece with the yes. whole house of Atreus. Quite true. And because they got too proud, if you remember your Aeschylus, which I'm sure you do much better than I, um, it, it, was, it was only a kind of pride that brought them down. They were good people, all of them. And um, the poor man who had his eyes put out, what was his name? Um, Tiresias. <laughs> You don't mean the blind Tiresias? No, no, not Tiresias. I mean the, the, the great king. Who, who's oh, not. you don't mean Oedipus? Oedipus. Of course I mean Oedipus. Um, he didn't have them put out. He put them out himself with the jewels. That's right. But Oedipus, you see, was, was, he had done nothing uh, bad at all. I mean, he, he merely did, made mistakes which he couldn't avoid. He did it in ignorance. But are we forgiven those sins we do in ignorance? I don't think we are. But he was... He was remade. If you read Oedipus and Colonus, yes. you show how he became, in the end, a holy man and that's a place right. for pilgrimage. Yes. And, and that's forgotten. And I wonder if that doesn't bring us to something that interests me very much, which is the connection between sleep and death, which you probably bring out in the, in the Sleeping Beauty. The, the connection between uh, the impermanent death of sleep and the permanent death, which no one will quite accept in the myths. Well... I think there's a lot to be said there because of all those fairy tales, you know, Snow White, and there are, there are many. But that sleep, I, I, you could, it's sometimes translated as a seasonal thing, the earth waking yes. after winter. I'm all against that. Yes. I, I think there's something in man. My idea in writing The Sleeping Beauty was that there is something in man that needs to be recovered, that he's lost, some primal stuff, the stuff that he rec uh, needs to make him into a hero. It falls asleep in us at a certain age. This is what I tried to suggest in The Sleeping Beauty. And it can be woken. But what wakes us? Who is the prince? Who is the Sleeping Beauty? I left it as a question because I felt it was something I didn't dare to answer. 
Do you think it's possibly different for every person that the the prince may be for some people their talent and some other people oh, may their well. love? Or may well be, or they're getting a glimpse of God. Yes. I mean, uh, that's what I meant by love. They're, yes. They're either yes, I would mean that. Human or divine yes. love. Yes. And um, that that is what wakes uh, anyone, I think. And um, wasn't it Schiller in the Ode to Joy said, anyone who loves even one other person, uh, join us with our happy band because the, we're all together in this. Mm. Anyone who, who loves is yes, safe. Yes. Well, I think that's very important, that connection, because all the great painters, uh, and uh, apart from the myths, have always painted a connection between love and death, haven't they? they always. Even the bad ones, always. like Jeff Watts. <laughs> even if we're thinking of sacred and profane love, yes. death is concerned with both, or yes. both are concerned with death, yes. but on different levels. Yes. And those two are myths, aren't they? I mean, that whole idea of um, the relationship between love and death goes back beyond anything we know. I mean, far, far back into his... goes back into Adam. Not that he was the oldest of things. Oh, no. But it goes goes back to Adam. It's it's implicit there. Yes, and you know that the feast of St. Adam and Eve is the vigil of Christmas. No, I didn't know that. Isn't that rather nice? No, that's wonderful. Yes, the church has canonized them Mm. and gives their feast, the the, the 24th of, of December, the vigil of Christmas, so that they too partake in the in the rebirth in, in the new well, in the new tree. I, do you know that myth which says well the legend which says that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it was from that tree that the cross at Golgotha was made. Oh yes. That's, yes. that's wonderful to have linked up that. Yes. Yes, and that you see that that's in the in in a lot of the prayers, um, the the Christian prayers, for uh, Holy Week, the uh, something tree above all other, bend thy branches, lofty tree. It's Venantius Fortunatus. It's about the third century. That's wonderful. And it's a, it's a wonderful poem to the tree that was the tree of Adam and is the mm. tree of the crucifixion, mm. and that by through what came death uh, ca- came the new life. Of the world, it's uh, it's always this connection of of death and life. Together. Well, when you think of the symbol of the tree, the Hindus, the ancient Hindus had the tree, the as the Aswata tree, which has its roots in heaven and its branches down to earth. That's that's the tree that interests me. That an grows up, down an upside down an tree. upside down tree. It's wonderful. They must all be the same tree. Obviously. Obviously, because there can only be one tree. Yggdrasil in the in the Norse myths is the tree that supports the whole earth and that's goes right. up to Odin that's and right. to the to that's the right. that's Asia. The, that's the rightward growing tree. Yes, the downward growing tree. And you remember the uh, the hanged man of the Taro, yes. which is the card that interests me most because he's hanging by one foot, and with his arms behind him from a branch of a tree. But if you look at his face and turn the card upside down, he's smiling. There's life and death. Yes. He's hanged on the tree and he's smiling. Yes, yes that's very curious, isn't it? Well, of course, uh, since we know so little about death except by analogies of myths, um, it's probably we don't know uh, what it must be at all. And there's again a great legend through all history that at the moment of death, you are aware of all the things that you've done, I mean, everybody who's ever nearly drowned, you know, the, the, that's 
also a myth or a story because well, they have that too. They have the Egyptian Book of the Dead and the Tibetan Book of the Dead, which is recited over the dying person to to bring their life and everything together. You know, it's the old idea: remember. Yes, yes, yes. It's what they say on Good fr- on Ash Wednesday. You know. Remember, man, that thou art dust, and to dust must return, yes, which yes. is marvellous. Marvellous. And put the dust on the, yes. on the head. It's absolutely wonderful. Yes, I think from the remembrance of death, uh, whether one gets it by myth or any other way, possibly all real life begins, don't you think, without it? Do you think if we, if we didn't know we were going to die, we'd be anything other than a rather low form of animal life? Oh, it's the one thing that keeps us going in life. It it makes the wheel go round in yes. a way. Oh, After all, we that. came from nothing. But so they say, we came from nothing. What was I before? Well, we don't know, but it's a mystery. And I think it should be left as a mystery. And what will I be after? Better leave that alone, And too. leave that alone, too. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I quite agree. Muhammad, the, the prophet of Islam said, from a drop of semen emitted in desire to a handful of stinking dust, that is the time that man has. Wonderful. Yes. That's the time to bother yes. about. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's very good, I think. Yes. But he talks as though we had no responsibility. And I've always thought, and talking with students, uh, they've said to me very often, I didn't ask to be born. And I always say, are you sure? And one boy said to me, well, I think I'm sure. Did you ask to be born? I said, oh, I'm sure I did. I, I insisted on it. I've always had that very strongly. Well, that's very interesting. But can you I'm remember sh- before? No, I Some can't. people can. I have, none of, I have none of those things. I've oh. always turned away from it as too occult for me. But that I asked to be born, I have no doubt. I wonder. Isn't that interesting? Yes. I have, and I have that gives you a responsibility. It gives you a place in life. If you say, I didn't ask to be born, that's everything happened to you. Mm. Nothing is true. I didn't ask to be born, therefore I must be carried on by life. Yeah. What, do you th- what are you writing now? What is your next book? <laughs> Don't ask me. I've just brought out two books. I'm having a little waste. Oh, two? The sleeping, well, one before the sleeping Well, there's a Mary Poppins story. came out at the same time with a bunch of recipes, the kind of recipes that Mary Poppins would have had the children eat. Oh, and it has a story, too. A cookbook. Yes. A Mary Poppins cookbook. Now, Mary Poppins herself, you say, A.E. said she was a myth. That she came out of myth. She came out of the same world of myth. And... Uh, I've begun to see it. You know, we never read what we've written and learn from it. Somebody once told me that very wisely. Go back and read your books. And I thought about that seriously. And I often discover things in it that I didn't put there. I have no idea how they got in, and I'm always surprised. But I come to see that she belongs to me. She's undying. She departs, yes. but she never gets any older. Yes, that's right. She, she's completely beyond death, mm. isn't she? Beyond mm. any human death. And she's also passed into, has become a myth uh, f- f- through the book and through the movie, and everybody knows her as a, as, as a kind of myth. Well, she's become a kind of co- common word. You say, oh, so-and-so, a Mary Poppins. <laughs> yes, that's right. Almost like the Sleeping Beauty. Yes, oh, she's the one. She has to be woken 
Well, think think of what a task that might be to fall asleep for a hundred years. I have said in the story in the story that she was the one heroine who had no task, no bitterness. She was loved. Nothing happened to her except a prick of the finger. And the hero, the, the prince, has no task. He doesn't have to kill a dragon. He doesn't even even come with a weapon. He's his own weapon because when he comes to the hedge. It breaks open mm -hmm. and into flower, and he walks through. And it looks as though he were a very passive hero. But n I think not at all. I think he came at the right time, and that he came exactly when the hundred years were up. That must be a tremendous task, to come at the right time. And do the right thing. Exactly, but you can't help doing the right thing if the time yeah. is right. Yeah. Yes, that's very interesting, very interesting. Well, I think we've had a very interesting discussion, and I think you'll agree, I'm sure you'll agree with me, that, uh, that death is possibly, the, or the, our awareness of death is the most valuable thing we have. I think so. And that we can explore it. Mm -hmm. We may find, as um, that Belgian writer said, in the end, there Matelink. are no deaths. Metalink, The little boy comes to the footlights and after seeing everything, the play ends up, there are no dead. But there is death. Thank you very much indeed, P.L. Travers. And thank you. It's a great honor and a great joy to have you with me over WBAI for PEN Pen. Thank you. <laughs>